Hello and welcome to the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit podcast. My name is Josh Norton. I'm a sports and exercise physiotherapist and a PhD candidate with the MMRU team at Monash University. Today, we have the privilege of hearing from Zuzana Periton. Zuzana has a wealth of experience behind her in assessing, treating and managing hip and groin pain in both amateur and professional sports. She is currently completing her PhD with Latrobe Sport and Exercise Medicine Research Team, investigating changes in hip muscle morphology of footballers with hip and groin pain. She continues to consult from Box Hill Sports Med Biologic while also studying and spending time with her young family. Hip and groin pain is often one of the more challenging presentations we may see. Patients often experience a prolonged period of symptoms, and for many footballers, this can impact on their playing ability in game time. It's not uncommon for patients to present having already seen other clinicians and tried various treatments to overcome their pain. In Zuzana's 20 years of experience with footballers, both men and women, she has learned many clinically useful skills that will help you manage your patients with difficult hip and groin pain problems. Zuzana, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, let's, um, let's kick off by hearing a little bit more about yourself, uh, in particular your background and where you've worked. You've had some uh, great experiences and I'm sure that everyone will appreciate uh, learning more about uh, where you've worked and what you've done. Okay, perfect. Well, I'll start off with it. Um, it's correcting. It's, I haven't done 20 years in just football alone, so I'm coming up to 20 years now in physiotherapy. And I've had the privilege to work um, all around Australia as well as all around the world um, and in various different uh, areas of physiotherapy. So currently I'm doing a PhD with La Trobe University and I'm, like you said, I'm looking at hip and groin pain um, in footballers and specifically looking at MRI and looking at sort of muscle morphology, so size and composition, so specifically looking at fatty infiltrate or intramuscular fatty infiltrate. So that's really, really exciting. Um, I have now worked you know, over 10 years in football and I've been lucky enough to start off um, coming from South Australia, um, starting in the SANFL, which is uh, similar to the, the VFL here in Victoria. Mm. Um, so that's his semi-professional. I've also worked with uh, a long time with an amateur club here in Victoria uh, with the Uni Blues Football Club at Melbourne University. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was, I was lucky enough to go all the way up to the AFL with the North Melbourne Football Club. Um, my highlights, I guess, in terms of uh, physiotherapy, and some people might find this a bit funny, but uh, I, I did actually work at Ingham's Chicken Factory, um, mm -hmm. being the physio there. They get a lot of repetitive strain injuries, so it's a lot cheaper for them to have a in-house physio than you know, if their workers get injured going off. Um, and also I worked at Holden's Car Factory, so that was a real highlight, um, being able to understand sort of those sorts of specific injuries. Then I've been able to travel the world with the Australian Paralympic ski team. So that's been really, really um, great in terms of understanding how to travel with the team um, and working in like a small group. So you'll have 
your massage therapist and your doctor and then you and sometimes you have to cross over mm. <laughs> with professions in what you're able to provide so you might end up having to do some strength and conditioning you might have to liaise with other professionals and provide nutrition support and a whole bunch of testing so just traveling is another <laughs> field of physiotherapy and I've also gone to Utah uh, with the, the football team for their high altitude training. So I've had a lot of career highlights mm -hmm. and a lot of areas of physiotherapy as well. That sounds um, excellent. You've certainly uh, had a great experience across a broad range of sports. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what it was like in Utah, in particular the high altitude training. What was your experience like there? Well, I, th I think what was really, really nice and the coach put it forward to the athletes um, was because they're in a professional club, it was um, getting them to understand. So this is particularly the youngsters coming through. Um, so it was getting them to understand what it's like to become a professional athlete um, and taking away those sort of outside distractions, so family, um, girlfriends and what other <laughs> distractions you mm. might have and really just focusing on themselves and understanding uh, sort of what they can do to improve their performance. So uh, getting them to become more independent with that. So if they find stretching is helpful, um, you know, rather than just doing what's set by the club, they might do some stretching outside of the club or they might do yoga, they might do Pilates, they might find massage. So they'll, they'll have access to quite a lot of things um, when they're at these sorts of camps and then they can figure out what they need to do. So getting those one percenters uh, into their own abilities um, is really, really good and beneficial. <laughs> but the, the thing that I really, really like working with the team or working with teams in general is, you know, I always get asked, you know, well, what is it like working with the team and how is it different to private practice? Because I still work in private practice and have done so mm. uh, for, for most of my uh, working life. And that is, you know, you'll have people that are you know, you'll have patients in a private practice that you get along with, you know, and, and you might see them here and there and you might see them regularly. And you, you know, you develop that rapport, that sort of relationship, but it doesn't really go beyond the clinical. Whereas when mm. you're travelling with the team, um, the nice thing is you all become friends and they also then become a little bit dependent on you in, in a good way in that you're the one, you are their physio. And, you know, if they have an injury, it's up to you to get it better. The mm. other thing is, is you can also reflect on, you know, when they return to sport, how successful your intervention was and the lead up to it. So this, the strength and conditioning and the training, um, the loads, etc. So have they been successful in that? And if they haven't, it's a really nice way of, okay, was it? just unlucky, you know, they, they got tackled in an awkward way and here they've re-injured, so you can't necessarily mm. stop that happening. But or was it, you know, they went at top speed and their hamstring went again. And then, you, mm. then you've got to reflect, well, had I given them enough, you know, had this particular athlete had enough top speed um, put into them in terms of loads before returning them to play? So you're able to reflect on what helps and what doesn't. Um, and unlike private practice where if someone goes back 
too early, let's say, and redoes, restrains their hamstring, their quad, their calf, often you won't see them again. Mm. They'll just say, oh, that physio was no good and they'll go see someone else and you won't necessarily get that feedback. Mm. So it's really, really nice. The other thing is um, really beneficial is you get to work alongside, you know, the doctors um, and other professionals and you're able to sit in. So, uh, for example, with the athletes, if they go, if they unfortunately need surgery, you're able to go with them to see the specialist. Um, sometimes you'll even be able to go in to the surgery and watch it um, unfold so that mm -hmm. um, the surgeon can tell you straight away this is what this athlete needs um, post-op, you know, so you can actually see the complications if needed. The other thing that mm -hmm. is really, really good, and this is why particularly students that are uh, studying or those that are uh, just come out, so the new grads, I highly recommend um, you know, well, not necessarily volunteering, but joining a uh, football club. So, you know, under uh, if you haven't graduated, then there's always opportunities for trainers, um, yeah, and yeah. they're always looking for junior physios. The thing that I really like when you're working with a team of football is a great example because you see many injuries, and they're never just the same type. I mean, you can see anything from concussion to bro broken bones. Mm -hmm. um, to your sprains and strains. Um, and you can also uh, sort of appreciate other things like mental health, uh, nutrition and all that. But the nice thing that you won't get in private practice is a lot of the times you actually see the injury. Um, and if you're lucky enough in professional uh, sort of sporting arenas, you'll actually mm. be able to have a video recorded the injury there and then. Mm -hmm. and, you, and so you know which way the ankle went. Did it go to the inside? Did it go to the outside? You'll know straight away. And also you can um, sort of monitor back. You can look back at, you know, what led up to that injury, et cetera. But it's just nice that you don't have to depend on what the patient um recalls in the injury because sometimes mm -hmm. you know particularly when there's a bit of a scrum or uh, a big tackle there's a whole bunch uh, of people all, all involved sometimes people don't know which way you know their knee went did it go backwards did it go out to the side whereas you know if you're able to be there and you're watching it you'll be able to see it straight away you know what's happening no, it certainly will help won't it because I have many patients who I see who you ask them how it happened and they sort of shrug their shoulders and oh, it happened so fast I'm not too sure um, exactly which way my you know foot or uh, my ankle went so it mm. certainly would make it uh, uh, you know ideal that you can be there and you can see exactly what's happened. Um, I, I love the experience that you've had Susanna and you've certainly summarised lots of uh, uh, key aspects there. Um, one thing I, I think will be particularly interesting would be uh, what have you kind of carried over into your practice in private practice from what you've learnt through uh, working in a professional sports team setting? I think to, to be honest what I, what I really like I initially didn't want to go into sports physiotherapy too early because I didn't want to specialise um, and then sort of get stuck. But then um, after a few years, I decided I will go into to sport, mainly because I've always loved sport. And so for me, working with teams, um, I've really found that having that sports medicine team in the clinic is just as important. 
So having those relationships with doctors, particularly so understanding and I guess when I did physiotherapy and I first came out, it was sort of droned into you that if you couldn't fix the person, that was your fault and you weren't a good physio. (laughs) You know, you're doing Mm. something wrong. But there are things that, you know, we'll never get you know, as, as a physiotherapist may not be appropriate. I mean, um, things like they might be just generally unwell, um, that they might have an infection. You, you don't know these things. And there's always the sinister uh, red flags of cancer and all those other nasties that we're always thinking about. But so understanding that uh, we need to reassess um, and see how people are going and are they progressing how, they, how we want them to. And if they're not, sometimes it's good to be able to refer on. Um, the other thing for me working with teams is, and particularly when you get up to something like the AFL, so the Australian Football League, um, you're not just going to have the one physio. And understanding there's a lot of private practices have multiple physios. There's not just the one physio. And understanding that you could work really, really well together and understanding, I'm saying understanding a lot, but um, knowing what your uh, interests and what you're good at and what the others have that can bring to the table. So you might be really good at knees. Someone else might be really good at hip and groin. And say you get what you, you're not very good at and you're thinking, oh, I don't think I'm doing it right. Sometimes being able to refer on to a colleague and say, look, do you mind having a look at this patient as well? Um, tell me what you think and then coming back because then you can really learn. I think sometimes we feel that we need to be experts in everything um, and it, it's just impossible. I mean, I've, I've had the privilege of working on the clinical sports medicine textbook um, which is fantastic and a really good resource for anyone that's in private practice that like, mm-hmm. you know, is interested in musculoskeletal or sports injuries. Um, but even there you can see just the wealth of knowledge uh, and how much goes into each edition and how many professionals uh, contribute uh, to each sort of chapter in there. Mm. And for those that don't know the textbook, you, you, the chapters are divided into, you know, anterior thigh pain, posterior thigh pain, shoulder pain, all of that sort of stuff. So it's very nice to understand, you know, what are you good at? And if you're able to identify that, then you can also encourage others to send people your way. So you might find, you know, you're liaising with some doctors and you're just talking about, hey, you know, I really like knee pain, I see a lot of knee pain and this, I enjoy this aspect. And sometimes that then can lead to a line of referrals and then you end up enjoying your job because, hey, now you're seeing a lot more knee pain patients. It's what you're comfortable at. And the other thing is if you're seeing more of the same presentation, you can learn from that. Mm. Um, I know when I started, and this is probably very taboo, <laughs> but when I graduated, I used to you know, electrotherapy was still a thing, so that's mm. showing my age. But I'd have ultrasound days, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. where I'd put ultrasound on most people that came through the door. And what I quickly found out is, you know, where it was appropriate and where it wasn't. Um, and 
you know, to this day, you know, if I have an ultrasound available and in the clinics that I've been in, they've had a strong, uh, what's the word, <laughs> uh, strong against the, the ultrasound, so it hasn't been available. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes the, you could call it a placebo effect, um, can have a really strong effect on people, particularly in they've got a heightened pain response and they they perceive you as doing something and, you know, a machine can sometimes help with that. Mm-hmm. But it's never the only thing that I would do. Um, what I, I used to find which was really helpful was by doing something like an ultrasound and it could be something like your manual therapy as well, um, you're able to educate the patient and they're relaxed because they're thinking that you're doing something mm. as, you're, as you're there. They're not just sitting down listening to everything that you're saying. Um, I I like to use my hands a lot um, and I think this is where the profession is divided um, in terms of there are a lot of, um, and I think probably more in private practice mm-hmm. that will, will sit down and say, no, I, I really believe that education is the key um, and that, you know, your soft tissue work may be too passive um, and it's not encouraging them to become independent um, with progressing. I, however, find that I get a better rapport if I put my hands on someone and I'm able to educate them whilst I'm doing it. Um, When you go with uh, sporting teams, it's almost a necessity. (laughs) You know, the, Mm. the loads that they put uh, through their bodies, they will have tight muscles um, mm-hmm. and it will affect, you know, their range of movement, their strength measures and things. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes just, you know, releasing some of those muscles, they feel a lot better and it does, um, you know, improve their performance. So uh, I always like to do a little bit of both. So <laughs> this is quite long-winded for this uh, question. I think, I think you've summarised things uh, really well. You've, you, you've uh, touched on a lot of aspects there, which is wonderful. Um, I certainly love the team-based approach that you've talked about and the, the holistic nature of uh, the care that you might sort of get in a sports team setting. Um, and then to carry that idea through to working in a private uh, practice clinic is really, really important, um, especially working with your colleagues and developing those special interest areas. So um, I, I think that sounds like a sort of great bit of advice for for uh, some younger clinicians out there. Uh, let, let's touch a little bit more on your experience with uh, hip and groin pain. Um, you've obviously had a, a number of years working in football and there'll be you know, lots of patients in that setting with hip and groin pain. Uh, what, what things are you really uh, looking for um, as your patient comes in and you learn they've got hip and groin, groin pain? Uh, what, what things are you thinking through and what things are you looking for as you begin to assess those type of patients? Yeah, well, a lot of people, um, hip probably not so much, but I know that a, a lot of people are a bit of afraid of the groin uh, area, um, mm. especially when they're, they're new to, to the assessment. But, um, you know, understanding acute presentations are uh, very different to your chronic. So it's really important to understand and decipher that really early on, you know, were they running and then they fell to pull and you now you're thinking it's more or a muscle strain or is this something that's been niggling at for, for months and they've trained through it, played through it, and it's just got to the point where they just can't keep going like this. Um, they're, they're too stiff in the morning, all that sort of thing. So understanding the difference between sort of your acute uh, and your chronic, so getting that to your forefront straight away. The other thing, uh, the 
if we talk about the groin, it's, it's a very complex region and often there's multiple presentations uh, that come up uh, at once. So it can be quite difficult uh, to sort of have a look at it. I used to be a ski instructor and this, you're probably thinking, where is she going with this? But, mm. <laughs> but what I found was um, I, really, I really wanted to be a ski instructor and I'd only started skiing when I was, you know, an adult. And so I wasn't the best uh, skier there. But I got the job. But I remember thinking I really want to get onto these edges. Um, and I did have a, a teacher that, you know, he told me all the things that I was doing wrong. Um, so I, I didn't go forward enough in the boot. My hands were too far back. My hips weren't in the right position. And, you know, I reckon he listed about 20 things and I just thought, oh, my gosh, you know, here I am. I'm no good. I'm never going to do anything. And then I had another sort of instructor who looked at me and I said, you know, I'm terrible. You know, what can I do? And he goes, oh, you're not that bad. All you need to do is just bring your arms forward. And mm -hmm. so I did that. And just by bringing my arms forward, it brought my weight forward in the boot. You know, my knees were in the right position. My hips were in the right position. Mm -hmm. um, I was moving down the hill, all of that. So sometimes you've got to be, you've got to understand, particularly around the uh, hip and groin, you might have uh, a lot of asterisk points or a lot of positive findings. Um, but don't let that scare you. Really see, uh, try and figure out what is it, that is driving most of these because sometimes just by changing one aspect of it can change a lot of other things there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they might have groin pain, but hey, they've got a really tight hip, they're really tight in their back and, you know, you, you start searching there, you release all that and then, oh, now the groin pain's much better. Mm -hmm. You know, so sometimes you just try and get an appreciation of the overall picture um, and don't be too scared if there's lots of things um, jumping out at you. Um, the best thing, particularly in the research world, that came out was the, the Doha Agreement, um, mm -hmm. and that was because, you know, your, your groin terminology, so what people were calling, you know, adductor strains, you know, osteitis pubis, all of those sorts of things, that there's so many terms for the same presentation. So the Doha Agreement was fantastic in terms of um, it really divided the groin. So well, what is the Doha Agreement? The Doha Agreement was getting um, a summary of all the research literature that was out there. So there's some, there was multiple systematic reviews made. And then there was uh, so a consensus agreement. So a lot of uh, experts in the field from all around the world came together and um, sort of gnashed it out what should happen, you know, and they came upon some agreements and what they came upon was some clinical entities around the groin, uh, so particularly for uh, groin pain in active people. So when we talk about clinical entities, we're not talking about a diagnosis. So each of these entities can have multiple findings on mm. your investigation. So just understanding that. Um, for like the first thing to do. <laughs> Next, so, so what are they? So, um, and this is how you can have your assessment as well. So um, you can follow these entities and sort of tick in your head yes or no. So your first one would be your adductor-related 
Um, so palpation is positive, so that they've got pain on their ductors or, or mm. the insertions, and they've got pain on their uh, resisted tests for that. Then you've got your iliozoas related. So again, you may have some pain on palpations, but now you're going to probably get more um, pain on hip flexion test. So resisted hip flexion, but you also may get some positive findings on sort of your hip flexor stretch. So something like your Thomas test. Um, then you go on to inguinal related, so somewhere around that inguinal area, they've got the pain, which may worsen, you know, with, with a cough or that Valsalva manoeuvre. And then you've got your pubic related. So you're looking at that pubic synthesis being tender, but also around it. So just on that pubic rami a little bit as well. So looking at those areas. Then, of course, we're not now talking about hip related. So if, you know, they've got things like catching, locking, clicking, you think, hang on, maybe there's a hip uh, issue there. And that's where uh, you can do some of your impingement tests really quickly. So things like your fader and your favor, mm -hmm. um, looking at their rotations, your, your um, range of motion, so your extension, uh, flexion, and all of that sort of stuff. So, you, so you've got those four entities around the groin. Then you've also got the hip related. So then look at the hip for a uh, quick screening test. Then also think about in the back of your mind sort of those red flags, um, the hip and, and groin pain. Mm. So think of stress fractures. Mm. So things like your neck of femur and your pubic rami. Um, then you've got your adolescents and kids. So things like your perthes and your slipped um, capital femoral epiphysis. Um, so you're looking at growth plates issues. So don't forget those. And I mean, something that's stuck in my head uh, all the way from university is uh, kids are always quite different to adults. Mm. And you may have a child that comes in limping and they're complaining of knee pain, always go straight to the hip and just mm. make sure you're clearing that. Yeah, There's a yep. lot of times you'll get that referral. The other thing is um, with kids is they don't have experience with pain. So sometimes they just, they have no idea. And, you know, the amount of times I've had children come in um, and just scared to put any weight through their leg mm. um, because they just don't understand what pain is. And so they're just afraid of it. And, you know, a lot of times I'll just go get a ball or something and I'll put it down and I'll look at them and say, oh, can you go kick that ball for mm. me? Or can you go and pick up the ball? So they'll do a full squat to pick it up. And you're mm -hmm. like, oh, see, so you put your weight through there and that was fine. Mm. Like, you're okay. And that gets, oh, okay. Because oh, it was funny, I had um, a patient and this, this was actually a knee pain. And they came in and at the same time, a colleague of mine also had a patient. So, mm. so they're both primary school kids, both came in not able to weight bear. Mm -hmm. um, my one even had to be piggybacked on the mum. Yeah, yeah. And I, I did that trick. I just got a ball, um, you know, got them to kick it and, and they're like, oh, okay, this is all right. Um, you know, then I was able to, you know, that, sort of fearfulness was taken away and I was able to assess that knee properly. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we've got some tubey grip, we showed some tape, showed some exercise and they were fine after that one consult. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just a bit of a twist on the knee um, and then they were just a bit afraid. The other physio mm -hmm. 
didn't want to touch them mm-hmm. because, oh, you know, this is, this is a child, they're unable to weight mm. bear, um, pretty much said, oh, and the child wouldn't let them touch them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got to the point where, oh, okay, she's got the crutches out, um, then actually got uh, x-ray referral said, look, if they don't get any better in two days, here's mm. a referral for an x-ray, let's see how we go. Pretty much left them at that. Um, they went home and overheard their dad, um, you know, the mum said, oh, you know, it's just mm. come back. We don't know what's going on, we might have to have an x-ray. And the dad just goes, oh, gosh. He's done not, absolutely nothing. I've seen mm. him walking around, you know, he's pulled a heartstring. Yeah, and he's gone to school the next day with these crutches. And um, someone actually asked him, said, oh, what, what did you do? He goes, oh, I pulled a heartstring. And so all <laughs> the teachers <laughs> were, were laughing. And then he realised, oh, there's actually nothing wrong with it. And he threw the crutches away. He was so embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just then- understanding that, you know, pain particularly when you're looking at kids, is complex for them that they don't understand mm. it. And sometimes uh, it really does require you to understand that concept and really walk them through um, and show them what they can and can't do. Mm. That's touched on a really nice area that uh, sometimes working with young children, you, you need to be aware of some different conditions um, and potential pathologies, but then at the same time that uh, sometimes some reassurance is really, really important, both for the parents and for the child themselves. Um, so that, that's really, really helpful. Um, before we wrap up here in a moment, uh, Zuzana, let's just uh, touch on your research that you've been doing, um, looking at hip and groin pain athletes and in particular the MRI and uh, muscle morphology and fat, fat infiltrate. Uh, what, what particular direction do you think that research is sort of taking us into and how do you think that might be relevant for clinicians? Well, I'm, I'm only one year into uh, my PhD, but I'm already enjoying it uh, quite a lot. And um, I'm lucky that the MRIs, we've got about 100, just over 180 MRIs of footballers where we can have a look at uh, the muscle quality um, and size around that hip. Um, so I'm really enjoying tracing around the individual muscles. Mm. And it'll be really, really interesting. So where my research will go will be identifying um, the muscles um, that may be most affected by hip and groin pain. And if we're able to identify those muscles, then hopefully what we can do is target our interventions uh, around those muscles and be really specific and hopefully um, then, you know, negate the need for uh, sort of surgery on down the track because we know that sort of your hip and groin pain can become chronic really quickly. Um, mm. And I guess the one good thing and the one bad thing particularly about your groin pain is that uh, a lot of athletes will continue training and continue playing through it. Um, so sometimes, it, you know, the time loss to groin injury specifically um, can be a little bit uh, non-reflective in the research because, you know, when do they report it to when does it get, you know, when is it, when do they actually get it? compared mm. to when is it recorded that, you know, it's happening. Um, and that can be, a, you know, a big, big difference. It could be weeks and sometimes even months. Mm. Um, but we've already known, so we've already seen 
particularly. So <laughs> let's cut that bit out. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. um, in terms of uh, the muscle quality, we know that uh, intramuscular fat, so we're not talking about subcutaneous fat, we're talking about intramuscular fat. So we're not meant to have a lot of that. Um, mm. But what they are seeing is that particularly with chronic pain, that we're starting to get these uh, fatty infiltrates. So they've seen it in whiplash, so in the, the cervical mm -hmm. muscles, yep. and they've seen it in sort of your rotator cuff pathologies. Mm -hmm. um, and what they have found with the rotator cuff is um, those that had an increased fatty infiltrate did uh, more uh, poorly in their post-surgical outcomes, mm. so both function and pain. Do, so do we're you know able Sorry, yeah. do you know if uh, we see that fatty infiltrate reverse, say if somebody completes a, you know, a, a long-term progressive strengthening program or uh, even maybe post-surgery, do we know if we see that reverse? So this, this is all very, very new um, and it's only just sort of coming out. Um, they have shown it in the cervical region uh, for specific exercises for whiplash. Okay. So we can reverse it to, to an extent there. Um, and, yes, that is that is what would be really, really good is if, can we see that happening um, at the hip region? Can we see that at the shoulder region? Because, look, as a, as a clinician um, and particularly when you're going up, you know, those professional sports where they just want to get that person back to playing as quick as possible and they'll try and go, the shortest route and often mm. the shortest route is some sort of other intervention um, which may be uh, surgical so your hip arthroscopies that sort of thing and if we're able to show um, look you know here on MRI you know your gluteus minimus has a lot of fatty infiltrate in there can we please do a targeted exercise program for six weeks let's see if we can change this change um, their pain, change their function. If we can do mm. that um, and, you know, reduce their pain, their signs, their symptoms, uh, improve their objective measures, then we may even be able to forego that surgery because we know, you know, a lot of surgeries, even though they can make a difference in that short term, a lot of them we don't know what they do in the long term um, mm. and often that they can increase um, sort of that osteoarthritis and that hip and the knee and all those sorts of things so when you're getting those surgical interventions. So if we can um, not have the surgical be at that forefront as an option and really mm. sort of be able to, what's the word, be able to justify uh, the exercise intervention first, the conservative management first, well, mm. then it's going to help our profession uh, enormously. Yeah, wonderful. Excellent. And that sounds like there's some uh, promising things we'll see and uh, we're really looking forward to the outcome of that, uh, which will be great. Uh, lastly, Susanna, uh, it's been really wonderful to have you. It's great to hear of your experience through both the AFL and also with the uh, more amateur teams in the Uni Blues and over in South Australia, um, and also your experience with the Paralympics as well. Uh, do you have any last tips for uh, physios who are treating their uh, hip and groin pain patients any last tips for them to really focus on as they complete their rehab uh well there's been some really nice papers 
And I know, Josh, you, you asked me before this podcast, what, what are some key papers uh, to, to go up and, and look up? Um, your first one uh, would be that Doha Agreement. So um, going and having a look at that. Another one is the Warwick um, Agreement. Uh, so that is looking at femoral acetabular impingement syndrome. So understanding to get a diagnosis of that, you need the three keys, you need the subjective findings, um, you need the objective findings in those impingement tests and you need imaging findings as well. I think particularly in our profession, you may hear you know, people with CAM and pincer type uh, results on MRI or on X-ray, um, but they don't actually have the, the hip pain, the, you know, the clinical mm. signs don't match up. So that is not uh, femoral acetabular impingement. Mm. <laughs> it, you, you have to have all three of those components. So um, really reading up on that and understanding that can make a, a big difference for those. Um, and the other thing is, is a really nice paper by Christian Thorberg and a a lot of other colleagues, some that I actually work with, um, mm -hmm. and they've got a really good clinical commentary on, and I'll say it uh, as it's written, is clinical examination, diagnostic imaging and testing of athletes with groin pain, an evidence-based approach to effective management. And there is some really, really nice diagrams and figures in there um, that are really useful for the clinician. That sounds like some wonderful resources and we'll be sure to put some links to those particular papers in the show notes. Uh, thank you, Zazana. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, everyone's found that useful and val valuable and we certainly wish you uh, the best as you continue your work and your research and the, uh, hopefully completion of your PhD in not too long. Wonderful to have you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Josh.